We are in a sermon series in July on sharing our stories of faith. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at a story from Acts chapter 8. It's about the Ethiopian eunuch. And so, pay attention now as we listen to God's word from Acts chapter 8. And then after that, I'll be reading a few verses from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Listen to God's word. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And now, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, verses 18 through 20. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For in him every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ten years ago, after I finished undergrad at the University of Puget Sound, I did a full-time college ministry internship at at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. Uh, At that time, University Presbyterian Church was a huge, huge church. They had 5,000 members, and the college ministry had 10 people on staff. 
we had worship services on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m., and there would be 800 to 1,000 college students that would come to those worship services. And I share some of this just to try to explain what it was like to be an intern at that place. It was, it was awesome. It was so joyful. It was one of the most joyful years of my whole life that I got to live doing college ministry in that setting. Um, the church is right next to Greek Row at the University of Washington. So half the students that came were coming from sororities and fraternities and uh, just were there to try to hear a good word about Jesus every Tuesday night. And we got to be a part of their journey and a part of their story while they were at the University of Washington. And it was so much fun. I, I loved that year of ministry. It was filled with the joy of Jesus. There were days on those Wednesday mornings I would get coffee with college students and just get to talk to them about what, what it was that God was doing in their life and what it was that Jesus was up to while they were going to school. It was just an amazing experience getting to be an intern for that year. Here's part of the hard part of that internship. Uh, we, had a, we were given a stipend as interns. Our stipend was $400 a month which, yes, people in this area, maybe some of them make $400 an hour, potentially. <laughs> so there's a difference. That's an exaggeration, of course. Um, but to help kind of uh, help with that, not making so much money as an intern, the church provided housing for us. Uh, there was generous people in the church that would provide housing for all the interns. And uh, the story that I want to share about that housing experience, I, I hesitate to share it because... Um, this family struggled with something that lots of families struggled. Not lots, but some. Um, the family that I lived with that year, they, they struggled with the phenomenon that we call hoarding. Uh, they, they, they couldn't get rid of things or recycle things that maybe needed to be recycled. To get from the entryway to the kitchen, you had to go through the living room, the dining room, to the kitchen, and there would be stacks of magazines six feet high. Um, starting from the 1960s up till the present day. And it was challenging. It was like a maze. You would have to make your way through these things to get to the kitchen, to get to my bedroom. Um, and it was, it was a hard space. It was a hard space to live in for that time. It was a difficult circumstance. It, it challenged that sense of joy that I had when I was doing this ministry at the University of Washington. I wonder, have any of you been in a space or a place that challenges that sense of joy, a circumstance in life that you know you have, as Kristen said, the joy of Jesus in your heart, and yet there's things that feel like they're pressing in on you that really are challenging, that are really difficult? I ask this question because I think the eunuch story that I just read from Acts 8 is one of joy. The end of the story is him rejoicing leaving this experience down the road back to Ethiopia. He is rejoicing. He's filled with joy. And yet, throughout the text, I think there is a tension in the story that causes us to wonder, what is this joy going to look like when he returns? Will there be challenge? Will there be a struggle for what this looks like for the eunuch? And so, but first I want to begin with the joy. Why such joy? Why such joy for the eunuch? I want to share a couple of things about the text. First, I think joy happens as a result of divine agency in this story. I love the way the scripture begins with the spirit of the Lord uh, sending an angel to Philip, saying, Philip, I want you to go on this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, and it wants you to go on the south road, a wilderness road. If you look at your Bibles, which you may not, 
there's a little um, note on there that will say, but also in Greek, the south road can mean at noon. So it's sort of like uh, the messenger saying this to Philip is to say, go run a marathon in Phoenix in July. Uh, No one does that. (laughs) No one does this at noon in 120 degree weather to go run a marathon. But essentially, that's what the Spirit of God is saying to Philip. Go do this. Go run this race on this road to Gaza. And he doesn't even know why, but he just goes. And he's obedient to that word. And he shows up, and he sees this chariot and an Ethiopian sitting inside of it. And he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah. And the eunuch invites him in. And there's this beautiful moment that happens between the two of them in which Philip then can share the good news with the eunuch about Jesus. I want to share some of the specifics of who the eunuch is that matter for what joy looks like for him. He's an Ethiopian. He's an Ethiopian. And again, in the Greek word for Ethiopian can mean something that's more symbolic than just a specific nation. There were Ethiopians who lived 2,000 years ago, just like there is an Ethiopian nation today. But it can also mean much more broadly people of northern Africa. And so, to some extent, he is symbolic of the gospel spreading. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, it says that, and the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. And this is symbolic, to some extent, of going to the ends of the earth. His faith The faith of Jesus will go to the ends of the earth now. Ethiopian. The second piece of his title, we don't have a name for this person, is that he's a eunuch. A eunuch, for those of you who don't know, is a person who's been castrated. No longer has the ability to reproduce biologically. Now, sometimes when we hear that, we think, that's a strange thing in antiquity only. Right? That's something that's done 2,000 years ago. That's a pretty weird, strange thing. And it is a weird and a strange thing. And uh, most notably, it was done in antiquity for people who were slaves. So the other information that we hear about the eunuch was that he worked for the queen and he was in charge of the treasury. And sometimes this happened. So most likely, the eunuch is a slave. He's been castrated. This is a difficult circumstance in which he lives. And like I said, sometimes we think that's in the past. But just as a slight side note, When I was at the University of Puget Sound, I wrote my senior thesis on the American eugenics movement. And actually, from 1907 to 1973, uh, this country, we had 37 states that had laws that forcibly sterilized people without their consent. Uh, That if they were deemed to be unfit to reproduce, uh, doctors were allowed to go in and forcibly sterilize people. So it's not so distant. Humans throughout all of time have done interesting and strange things like this to persons. In ancient Israel, though, eunuchs, they were on the outside of Israel. They were on the outside of the faith community. They were not welcomed to the most inner parts of Jewish life. They were on the outside because for the Jewish people, what it meant to be a Jewish people was to was to proliferate, was to, to bear children and to grow them and to spread them throughout the land and throughout the earth. And so a eunuch could not be central to the life of Judaism as they were on the outside. They were on the outside. And yet the story is that the eunuch goes to Jerusalem to worship. 
and is now on a chariot reading a scroll of Isaiah. This is fascinating. Somehow he's picked up a scroll of Isaiah in Jerusalem and is reading it out loud. And then Philip jumps into the chariot with him. And he asks, about whom, may I ask you, Philip, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? And this makes space for Philip to share the good news. This week I've been reading this commentary on the book of Acts. And I wanted to read a short paragraph from this book about this part of the encounter that I thought was, I thought it was a very enlightening chapter, enlightening paragraph. This is what Willie James Jennings says in his commentary. He says, Philip preached to him an intimate sermon for one. This is a lavish act of divine self-giving that should not be explained by utility. Too often the eunuch has been interpreted simply as an instrument, as a necessary linchpin for evangelization and mission into the unknown parts of the world. Such ways of reading this story miss the joy that fills this scene and reflect a vision of humanity as nothing more than tools and a vision of God that has forgotten the extravagance of divine love. God has come for the eunuch precisely in his difference and exactly in the complexities of his life. He matters, not because he is close to worldly power and thus a more appealing pawn. He simply matters, and he is being brought close. He will no longer be far from home. I think that's a beautiful image of what happens here with Philip and the eunuch, and that he receives this intimate sermon for one. And as I was reading that chapter, I was thinking of 2 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul says that in Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are a yes. Here's the last piece I want to share about the eunuch and his specifics. Though there are many scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about how eunuchs are to be on the outside of the community, there is one part in Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5, that God makes a promise to them. And this is what it says. Do not let the foreigner be joined to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Though the particulars of this story are a bit strange and a bit odd, there's something really beautiful happening here in Jesus in the way that he brings him into the promises of God into a yes, into a yes. This intimate sermon is specific for him, and yet it leads him to this profound faith in Jesus. It leads him right into the waters of baptism and rejoicing down the road back to Ethiopia. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Here's three sort of practical takeaways I think we can take from the eunuch story of faith. First is this sense of this intimate sermon and divine agency. This intimate sermon, the way that Jesus is saying yes to the eunuch, God is also saying yes to us as well. And all of God's promises in Jesus Christ are a yes to us. We may not be aware of it, but there may be situations and people in our life that are being orchestrated for the sake of the good news to be shared with us, 
to be shared with us, much like Philip coming alongside the eunuch, much like that. The second part is really practical too, which is, uh, for those of you who may not know, that Ethiopia was the very first country to adopt Christianity as its national religion, the very first before anyone else. It was in the early fourth century. And so I often wonder why and what it must have been like for the eunuch to return back to Ethiopia by himself. No one else was a follower of Jesus. He didn't have anybody else to share this joy with in a way that they would understand it. And so remember that point in the story when he asks Philip, he says, how can I understand the scripture unless somebody guides me, unless someone guides me? Sometimes in Christianity, we talk about reading the scripture as being the most important thing that we do for our spiritual formation. And that's true. Reading the Bible is good. Um, But perhaps what is also more significant is to read it with one another in community, to guide one another, to do interpretation with each other, to share that together. And that's why at the heart of our worship services is a chance to read scripture, to reflect on them together as a community, not just individually or alone in your own way. And so I think that sense of worship stayed with the eunuch and must have talked to other people, shared with other people, developed small churches, places to reflect on the story of Isaiah, the scroll that he had as a starting point to talk about good news with others and began to grow a church, grow a church that grew so large. Now it's the longest, uh, it's the longest church that's ever been in existence, the one in Ethiopia. Three, I think the, the other part that's really practical for us is joy, is thinking about joy, um, is thinking about joy. Joy in the sense that um, when the eunuch goes back, there's certain things that he won't be able to change. And yet what he has in his relationship with Jesus is going to be with him in a significant way no matter what. When I was living in that house with that family, uh, this, is a, this is an example of joy in the sense of sometimes we just can't fix our surroundings, but we still have to find joy in relationship with Jesus regardless. The family that was hosting me went away on vacation for a weekend, and so I cleaned out the refrigerator. There was stuff from 10 years ago, <laughs> expired and moldy. I just, I cleaned it all out, you know? I didn't, I didn't tell them I was 22. I didn't, you know, I, maybe that was disrespectful. I'm not sure. Um, but I just cleaned it out. I threw stuff away. I got stuff in the recycling bin and in the compost pile. Um, the day they came back, though, the refrigerator was filled again with stuff. It was filled with things right away again, Um, and some things that were moldy in three days, you know, just, it was filled back with stuff, Uh, and in my, and in my heart, what I learned in that moment was that just by cleaning out the refrigerator, I wasn't going to fix this bigger problem that was going on, right? Something deep, significant was happening with the family, and what would it mean for me to have joy in that space? What would it mean for me to have joy in that space? And that's where joy, it goes deeper than just emotion. But joy is this state in which we have from Jesus that is given to us through faith, through these experiences of knowing the good news for us. It's knowing the good news for us. As a way to conclude this, I want to share one one last story um, about a time in which I saw joy in the midst of a difficult circumstance 
that same year before I went and I was a student intern at the college ministry, I went on a mission trip to Nairobi, Kenya, and going to Kenya is a beautiful place. It's East Africa. Ethiopia is just to the north of East Africa. And I remember flying in on the airplane to Nairobi, and there were giraffes walking around on the land around me. And I thought, this is strange. I usually see giraffes in zoos, but here they are walking just in the field. This is amazing. And the mission trip was a little bit different. You've heard us speak about the Mexico mission trip in which there's a, really, there's a project and you go to build a house. This mission trip was different where we were just going to go partner with different community leaders to see what God was doing in different places throughout the city. So we spent, of our three weeks, we spent most of that time in the three largest slums in Nairobi, which were Kibera, Kwangware, and Mathare. And this one afternoon, we were with Moses, who was our community leader that day, and he took us to some of the schools. We got to meet children in the schools, and he showed us he um, saved up enough money to buy a structure so that he could house worship in that structure and do community programs for the students. Um, Moses was an amazing, amazing guy. Mathare is three square miles of space, and 500,000 people live in it. And there was... uh, it was a space that had a lot of challenges. It had a lot of challenges. Um, it was tough. And this one particular day when we were worshiping, we were singing that song we sang earlier, How Great Is Our God. And it was the most joyful worship services. I, I forgot to mention just before that, they were actually doing liturgical dance where we were actually dancing, and they, they actually got me to dance. So there was a, I don't do liturgical dance, but I did that day. It was such a joyful experience, and we were singing, how great is our God, how great is our God. We're singing that over and over again, and I, and I heard out the window while we were sitting there, uh, some violence began to erupt, and there was gunshots that rang out in the neighborhood less than a mile away, and my own instinct in that moment was to say, what are we doing still worshiping? Something is happening. Something is going on, but we just kept singing that song. How great is our God? We kept singing that song. Later on that night, uh, Moses came back and talked to us, and he said, there's been some problems lately in the neighborhood with residents and the police, and a few people ended up dying that day as a result of some of that violence. And he said, and, we, and I asked him, I was like, what? why didn't you stop? Wasn't there something you could have done? And he said, sometimes, um, you know, we, we lament too much by what goes on here. And so we need to continue to sing the joyful songs of God to remind us of the truth that what is given to us in the good news is joy, is joy. I never forgot that moment because it just reminded me of the faith that Jesus gives to us that leads us to water, much like the eunuch, leads us to the faith of water, of the joy of baptism waters, and leads us rejoicing down the road, whatever the road may lead us to or lead us to way. So friends, let's, let's pray now. Gracious God, you are faithful in your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the story of the eunuch, for who he is, for who he was, and, and that his story was recorded in the scriptures, God. God, we're thankful for Philip that he came alongside him and shared good news with him and that it led him to the waters of baptism. 
that he had a rich faith and it led him down the road rejoicing. God, may our lives lead us down the road to rejoice as well. Lead us in faith, God. Help us grow closer to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.